Section one of A Cruise in an Opium Clipper. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. A Cruise in an Opium Clipper by Lindsay Anderson. Section one, chapters one through four. Chapter one. I take service on board an opium clipper at Shanghai in the course of a wandering and adventurous life i found myself one morning sitting on a stone seat at the gate of the british consulate in shanghai it was early in the year eighteen fifty nine and there was at that time much talk about the opening up of japan to european commerce while i was patiently waiting for the consulate to open its portals that i might see if there were any letters for me a gentleman in the garb of a sea-captain came towards me eyeing me steadily and seemingly taking my measure as soon as he arrived within speaking distance he accosted me with a polite good morning sir good morning i replied raising my hat waiting for the consulate to open i suppose he said yes sir excuse me he continued but might i ask if you are a seafaring man oh yes i replied i have been well trained to the sea i suppose i have been in all kinds of ships belonging to almost every nation under the sun as for my capabilities i leave that to my superiors to judge upon well he observed i am in want of some men and officers would you care about joining our service what service is it i asked the opium trade and there is the vessel pointing towards a moderately sized trim-looking schooner lying at anchor in the river not far from where we were standing she looked a perfect beauty as she lay there with her boarding nets triced up all around her and her guns run out and shining in the rays of the sun so brightly were they polished her booms were also swung out for the various boats to hang on to for there was more room in the river then than there is now i doubt much if the increased traffic would admit of vessels having boat booms swung out nowadays i had heard a good deal about this opium trade one way and another some condemned it while others laughed at their conscientious scruples i was young and eager for adventures out of the ordinary way of a seafaring life so i replied to my questioner that i had no objections to join him pay and other conditions being satisfactory well he said i am captain gulliver the schooner is named the emont built in the isle of wight by white the celebrated yacht builder she is nearly solid mahogany and cost as much as would build a good oak ship of ten times her size i will give you the post of third officer and he named a rate of pay that would make the mouth of a chief officer of nowadays water you can join to-night or to-morrow morning and if during the day you can pick up any european seamen you can bring them with you and their pay will be forty dollars a month or five more if they are the right sort we carry a large crew so the work is light if it is attended with some danger there is no stint of food and everything of the best oh, very good sir i said i accept your offer and as soon as i have been inside the consulate to have a look at the letter-rack i will go round to the boarding-houses and see if there are any men to be had and then i will come on board by the by asked the captain what is your name lindsay anderson sir i replied scotchman 
he suggested yes sir i assented mr anderson said the captain i may as well tell you we are not exactly in the opium trade just now we are running the secret dispatches from here to japan for those japanese who are favourable to the opening up of their country to european intercourse and trade you will be engaged in some curious transactions with the japs but not much real danger captain gulliver now wished me good morning and we both entered the consulate together he to confer with h b m consul on japanese affairs and i to overhaul the letters which lay scattered about on a table in an anteroom for all comers to handle and the unscrupulous ones to do as they liked with there were none for me and although disappointed at first the feeling soon wore off and i proceeded to fulfil the behests of captain gulliver chapter two a visit to a sailor's boarding-house i had been staying in the house of a respectable chinaman within the walls of the city i therefore went first to my lodging informed my host of my engagement settled my score and got a boatman engaged to come for my belongings in the afternoon i then wended my way to english and french town so termed from the presence of the consulates of the two nations not far from the consulates were several boarding-houses where seamen generally were to be found when out of employment at the period i am writing of men were scarce a good many finding work in the lorchas up the river as well as in the chinese gunboats which were then in their infancy and needed the skill and intelligence of europeans pay was high in the gunboats as well as in the lorchas and the excitement intense to the wild spirits who craved for life out of the common everyday jog-trot my search in english and french town for able seamen proved unsuccessful i therefore hastened to the river and having hired a sampan crossed to the opposite bank nearly abreast of the english consulate on the further side stood a pretty large and commodious house built somewhat in the american style the house was walled in and stood in large grounds from the walls depended sloping roofs covering a breadth of fifteen or twenty feet of ground which the owner had converted into bowling alleys of the american type the establishment in those days went by the name of allen's american boarding-house here were often to be found seamen of every kind and of every country deserters from the english american and other navies and from the various merchant vessels frequenting the port of shanghai and ningpo it was easy to get a passage in a lorcha from ningpo and bob allen's was always open to receive the straggler be he who he might bob's emissaries would take men out of one ship to-night and then to-morrow supply the same ship with the men who had been longest on his hands bob receiving a good quid pro quo on the transaction however bob was not a hard boarding-master for jack whatever injury he might do to the captain and owners when once jack got landed in bob's house he was safe no captain ever was able to obtain the return of a deserter from there whether it was that the house was on ground away from the then settlements or the fear of force against force i know not but bob's house was carefully avoided alike by consuls officers and captains i had been in bob's house before and was not entirely a stranger although bob was a little stiff at my not taking up my abode there instead of inside the city 
Bob was the first man I met when I entered this, his castle. "'Good morning, Mr. Allen,' I said. "'Good morning, Anderson,' Bob replied, not unpleasantly, adding, "'What has sent you over the water to-day?' "'Well, Mr. Allen, I have come over after some of your men, if you can let me have any. I have just shipped as third mate of that opium schooner lying in the stream, abreast of your front door, and the captain has commissioned me to find some men for her if I can, so here I am. And will you have a drink before we begin business?' Bob was smiling all over his face now at my intelligence, and I could easily suppose he had a few boarders to be got rid of. The bartender was soon found, and two sherry cobblers adorned the bar-table. I then told Bob the conditions of pay and service. "'Well,' said Bob, "'it is not a bad offer, and I can let you have a dozen or more. Not but what I might make a little more by hanging out and getting runs for them in the tea-clippers.' Runs are high now, and I get the half of it, while I'll only get a month's advance for your men. You'll be coming back here again, perhaps? he queried. Oh, yes, I replied. We are to run between here and Japan for some time, I believe. All right, then, Anderson. I'll let you have as many as I can, and perhaps another time the captain may favor me again. I dare say, if all turns out right, the captain will be only too glad to be served by you. The men are just going to dinner now. While I am carving, I will have a talk with them. Although some of them will have to go without much talking, being rather fond of no work, and a good bowling alley with plenty of good grub, into the bargain. CHAPTER Three, SAILORS' WRONGS AND REMEDIES A CRIMP'S TRICKS As soon as their dinner was over, Bob called me into the room where the men were assembled. After introducing me as the officer in quest of hands for a particular service, he named eighteen of them as willing to join. A motley crowd they were, of all nationalities in Europe, and one or two hailing from Uncle Sam's territory. Some of them, as Bob afterwards told me, had been chased out of California, having made the place too hot for themselves. Even amongst such a rough class as the diggers in these days were to a great extent still diggers had a code of honour which it seems some of my future shipmates were unable to live up to others of them had been soldiering in the chinese imperial army under general ward and tiring of camp life wished for a taste of the briny again the younger and more respectable looking of this very lot were those who had deserted from some down east yankee vessel or perhaps from some hard-worked and half-starved english vessel the food in merchant vessels of those days was none of the best, and the captain had more unlimited power for evil than in these days of telegraphy and flying mail steamers. There has also been a good deal of remedial legislation on behalf of Jack since the time I am writing of. Desertion was then the only remedy Jack had for a tyrannical master or mate or hungry ship and if he were not a married man, or had not a good balance for the time he had served, or surmised that the captain or mate could, by some trick, deprive him of this balance, then he never took a second thought. But when Bob Allen's emissaries broached the subject, and lauded the high pay and good grub to be had for the taking, he eagerly jumped at the chance for freedom. Sailors in a forecastle are generally very true to their shipmates, be they right or wrong, 
and when bob's boat arrived at midnight under the bow to take away perhaps half a dozen out of a ship's company of twenty or thirty all were blind even to the watchman while the transfer was being made next morning when the boatswain turned the hands to he found himself six short he would of course report it to the chief officer who would then come forward and if he were one of the bullying sort would threaten all sorts of disagreeable things to be done in the future if he were not told where to lay his hands on the delinquents then if the captain were on board he would come and have a try only to find that all the information he could get would be nil no one saw them go not even the watchman who as he said was aft for an hour between eleven and twelve watching a suspicious sampan near the stern baffled in his inquiries at all points the captain like the mate would resort to threats and some have even been known to handcuff and confine the rest of the crew to make sure of them even then has the jailer captain been done his ship is loaded he releases his men to get his ship ready for sea mr allen and his runners who know what has transpired on board are on the watch bob makes a visit to the one hotel on the shanghai side where most captains meet he comes across the captain and soon they are both carousing in a friendly way together for is not bob to supply him with some men on the morrow bob suggests to the captain that his chief officer had better go over there and then and pick his men the captain agrees to this and gives bob a note for the mate telling him what to do bob armed with the note is received on board when all visitors are excluded on his way to the ship he has seen his own men and prepared his plan bob and the chief officer leave the ship a gentlemanly-looking man steps on board and tells the second officer he has come at the captain's request to sign some men on his articles the second mate takes him into the cabin the gentlemanly man engages the officer in an amusing conversation while this is passing in the cabin a boat glides quietly under the bow one of bob's runners is in the forecastle amongst the newly released men very few words are spoken the captain has threatened to make them pay the cost of substitutes for not informing on their absent shipmates the iron on their wrists has entered their soul bob's runner is hailed as a saviour in half an hour all are safely landed clothes and all nothing left but chests too old to be worth anything but for firewood after waiting an hour with the second mate and no men turning up the gentlemanly young man says he will have to go and requests the second mate to tell the captain that he will call first thing in the morning chapter four a crimp's tricks continued the gentlemanly young man gone the second mate takes a stroll forward to see that all is right alarmed at the dead quietness he peers into the forecastle seeing no one about he enters and to his amazement he finds the place deserted of all its living inmates flabbergasted at sight of the empty place he knows not what to do only he and the steward left in the ship he walks aft and takes counsel with the steward the first question that arises is what will the captain say neither of these two have been long in the ship only the passage up from hong kong from whence she came in ballast to load for new york 
they do not like the ship or the captain the only way out of the difficulty they can see is to follow those who have gone a sampan is whistled for and in a very short space of time they are seated in it with their effects and are soon pulled to frenchtown where fat jack's boarding-house receives them fat jack like bob allen has many places to put a sailor in till his ship has sailed away half an hour after their silent leave-taking the chief mate returns and finds very soon from the absence of his junior officer and steward that he is sole monarch of the vessel beneath his feet he takes the precaution of locking every door on board then he also whistles for a sampan which soon arrives at his call he takes the risk of leaving the vessel to watch herself hurries on shore runs rather than walks to the hotel finds the captain and in very few words acquaints him with what has taken place on board the captain swears loudly and deeply says bob allen has done it the mate says no sir i was with bob at your request to see the new hands they are powerless for it is now ten o'clock there is nothing for it but for both to return on board and watch their deserted vessel morning comes on apace at ten o'clock the captain is at his consulate a peon is sent to search for his men the peon does not go far only to an opium den in frenchtown fat jack is on the lookout treats the peon to a fragrant whiff and takes him over his mansion but he finds none but lorca hands who are known to him by sight for some reason or other the peon takes little interest in the search and never ventures over the water to bob allen's but close on one o'clock finds his way back to the consulate and the now very irate captain he reports his non-success and tells them he has been all over the place whether the consul believes him or not we do not say the consul is a merchant trader and has his private business to attend to he cannot waste all his time over this captain and he may also think the captain somewhat to blame although not thinking aloud he advises the captain to ship another crew and get away to sea as soon as he gets them on board and not stand the risk of losing a second lot the captain smothering his rage is forced to coincide with this view from the hotel he sends for bob allen bob agrees with him for an entire crew instead of the six men originally picked out by the mate the captain gets all his clearance papers that afternoon next morning bob allen brings him his crew receives from the captain his head money and hard mexican dollars and takes his leave the anchor is hove up the ship with her new seafarers sails away to the wide and trackless ocean for weal or woe the story of this typical case of desertion was related to me by bob while i was having lunch after the parade of the men who were to be on board of my new cruiser next morning to submit themselves for inspection by the captain and my superior officers whom i had not yet seen lunch finished i shook hands with bob and proceeded to the city for my traps and then went on board End of section 1